This episode is brought to you by JLL. Get an insider view into the world of commercial real estate with JLL's podcast, Trends and Insights, the Future of Commercial Real Estate. Whether you're curious about making cities more sustainable, the evolution of office space, or AI opportunities, this podcast will help keep you a step ahead. Tune in for candid conversations with business leaders about the biggest trends impacting how we live, work, and play. Subscribe to Trends and Insights now at jll.com slash podcast. You're listening to The Dworkin Report. I'm Scott Dworkin. Today on the show, I have a person who needs no introduction. We are having our first member of Congress on the show, so why not start with the best member of Congress? We have Leader Nancy Pelosi. We talk about how Democrats are going to win in the fall, what Democrats stand for, the attacks on her, and more. Definitely worth a listen. So here is my interview with Leader Nancy Pelosi. Leader Pelosi, welcome to the Dworkin Report. How are you? I'm fine. I'm honored to be with you on the nine-day tour, nine cities, nine days, and it's all exciting. Well, I know you're the busiest person on the Hill right now, so so let's jump right in. The, the question that fans have asked to ask you is Republicans have tried to say Democrats don't stand for anything. Obviously, that is not the case. What values do Democrats stand for? Democrats are for the people. And in this campaign, uh, that form, it takes the form of lower health care costs, higher paychecks, and cleaner government. And those issues go right to the heart of the uh, concerns that the American people have about their financial and health security and their concern that unless we change, the role of big, dark money in politics will never get uh, the decisions uh, in policy that, that are good for them instead of good for the special interest. What do you think that we'll need uh, in order to win back the House in the fall? And financially? Uh, financially and, you know, message-wise. Oh, I see. Okay. Anyway, we said, I think that what, we, what we, we have what we need, which is the best array of candidates on the field. These candidates across the country and across gender, across generation, across uh, uh, philosophically in every way, uh, know their purpose. They know why they are running. They have the confidence uh, to discuss the issues, to uh, listen to their constituents. So it's about why, it's about what, it's about how uh, to engage constituents. And they are their best resource. They stand on the platform that we have created and they in their own campaigns on leadership of Ben Ray Lujan, our chairman, which is about mobilization at the grassroots level. We must own the ground, and we're on the way to doing that. Messaging for the people, lower health care costs, better paychecks, cleaner government, and the resources, the money, the 3M, and the management um, of it all. So we have, the most important part of it all are the candidates. They, they, they will tell. And as you see, they are racking up big scores. Uh, even in the special elections and in some of the primaries. Now, how many races are Democrats targeting this year in the House? Well, we have a, a, we we have all but four Republicans are uh, have an opponent. Right. So there will be a drumbeat across America in like uh, 230, um, more than 230 races uh, where Republicans are in, are in the incumbent, and of course in some of the Democratic races as well. 
but we are challenging around 230 Republicans. In terms of the targeting, that's a lower number, about a third of those were up to about 70-ish red to blue, we'll add a few more to get up to 70 red to blue, and maybe more. And these are the races where we see the most potential to win the House. We need 23 seats to win the House. I, of course, want many more than that. And among them, we will have many women, many people of color, and gender diversity as we have in our caucus, which, by the way, I'm proud to say is a majority of women, people of color, and LGBTQ uh, community members. But it is, uh, again, about about we're making them all fight. We're not yielding one grain of sand, but we are specifically right now, uh, we have about 70 in, in our priority group. More to come probably after some more primaries, but also that that will then, we'll see who among them doesn't need really very much help or who among them needs more help and make those judgments. And do you think Trump prompted a lot of those women to run for office? And, and why are their candidacies particularly important for the Democratic Party? Well, when women marched the day after the inauguration, that was historic. That was pivotal. It was organic. It was not political. It was just spontaneous. Women marched, and now they are running. As I say, they know their purpose, but they also know that in order to fulfill the purpose, when people must vote. So the second year of the march was about the issues, yes, the values we share, but it was about voting as well. Uh, the, um, of course, for me, it has always been a goal, and I think you know it, electing women has always been one of my main, uh, just a main political uh, goals for me. Uh, when I came to Congress, there were 12 Democratic women, 11 Republicans. We now have 65 Democrats. They have like 19 or 20, but they didn't make the same decision we did. We're going to up that number considerably this year with the women, some self-recruited, some recruited, some in tough primaries against women too. And and now uh, they are emerging. And I think this is what the Republicans fear the most, the emergence of women, many more women in Congress. And of course, that's why they go after me too, because I'm a source of fundraising. I fight them on the policy uh, uh, successfully all the time in the Congress, and I mobilize. I'm a, I'm a you know, former state chair, so mobilization, owning the ground is my um, how I make a judgment about how we're going to win a race. But imagine what it will be. We'll have at least 20 more women in Congress, and again, varied in generation, gender, uh, uh, gender identity, uh, women of color, uh, whether they're uh, veterans or academics or teachers or small business women, some of them all of the above. As a matter of fact, some of them uh, bring multi um, uh, aspects of their careers, moms and the rest uh, to the Congress. It's going to be this, this election that's taking us into a new era of the Congress of the United States greatly influenced by diversity. Absolutely. And uh, I guess one of the problems we've had, Donald Trump has continuously intentionally harmed the Affordable Care Act. And if Democrats win the House, which I hope they do, obviously, how fast can they pass a bill or how fast can they move to improve Obamacare and even restore what Trump's harmed? Well, the, uh, we have to use all of our leverage. And frankly, that's one of my main purposes. I feel very proprietary about the Affordable Care Act and how we can expand it. 
Uh, our goal, of course, is to have every American have access to affordable quality uh, health care. The um, uh, what they they tried they tried to uh, repeal it, and with the outside mobilization, and let me just sing the praises of the outside. All of the groups, the social media, you name all of them. If I start naming them, um, I might leave somebody out. But all of the groups, especially those oriented to uh, to protect our care, et cetera, and those coalitions, the little lobbyists, et cetera, all of that, 10,000 events were held across the country under just spontaneous by these groups involving members of Congress, but uh, led by the groups. Our inside maneuvering could just do so much to stop them. The outside, stop the Republicans, the outside mobilization made all the difference in the world. So while they have done some damage to the Affordable Care Act, they did not repeal it. And that is largely thanks to the outside mobilization. So that same mobilization where people's um, awareness is increased about what this means in their lives. And that's part of the campaign, as well as what we will do when we win. That is to say, to guarantee that having a pre-existing condition no longer prevents you from getting affordable health care, that Medicare will be safe instead of being Medicare and Medicaid being cut by $2 trillion in the plans of the Republicans and the cost of prescription drugs, which is really devastating to families, to their health and their financial security. So um, those, those are three areas that we will focus on in the beginning. And, and um, of course the, Affordable Care Act, the, the path to universal access and quality care, in my view, is through strengthening the Affordable Care Act and taking us um, uh, to where we want to be, which is universal. This episode of the Dworkin Report is brought to you by Resistors Like You. We aim to keep this show independent for as long as we can. Visit DworkinReport.com to see how you can help out. One of the best ways is by hitting that contribute button in the top right and giving what you can. Thanks again for your support. Let's get back to the show. There obviously has been some corruption surrounding uh, Chris Collins. He announced that he's going to be resigning in the fall and trying to take his name off the ballot. Uh, You helped establish the Office of Congressional Ethics. Last January, the House GOP tried to gut it. What can Democrats do right now to fight this rampant corruption surrounding Trump's GOP? Well, we, when we ran in 06, we had, uh, a, a, our theme was drain the swamp, one of our things, drain the swamp uh, uh, and the culture of corruption, cronyism, and incompetence. Uh, and, and we didn't have a great ethics package. Uh, Barack Obama was very much a part of it as a senator at that time. Of course, when the Republicans came in, they undid a lot. Uh, but, but now he's stolen the name. He's hijacked the name, drain the swamp and completely betrayed the mission of, of bringing integrity, more integrity to, um, to, the, to Washington, to the Capitol, to Congress. So what we, what we really need to do is, and that's the third part of our for the people, lower health care costs, increase the paycheck, clean up government, and in that is about reducing the role of big-time money, especially dark of special interest money in politics, a imp- empowering a small donor in that regard, having a, the high ethical standard that this man should have been serving on the board of a company that was invested in and giving out um, um, that kind of information, insider information is really scandalous. But we have to make it um, clear. He shouldn't have been on the board. 
in the first place. And for his integrity, that's really up to him. And the verdict is up to the court. Uh, but the uh, need for Congress to remove all doubt in the public's mind that decisions that are made there are in their interest and not in the special interest and certainly not for the personal aggrandizement of a member of Congress. So John Sarbanes has taken the lead on our campaign piece of it. Many of the members have been involved in the ethical package uh, that that we are putting forth. And I, I think it, it, the public sees the connection between big money and their fate, uh, the exploitation of the worker, the inability for us to do what we need to do uh, for the cost of health care, the protecting of the environment, the air our children breathe, the water they drink, uh, the um, raising the minimum wage, gun safety, a fair immigration. Any subject you can name is impacted by the influence of big money in politics. The public knows that. So as, as Martin Luther King said, the ballot legislation, your life, it's all connected. Understand what happens at the ballot box affects your life when you go to, uh, to legislate. And Walter Ruther said it a different way. The bread box, excuse me, the lunch box and the ballot box are connected. What you win at the negotiating table can be eliminated in, the, in legislative halls unless we win at the ballot. Right. So, the, uh, so again, the connection to health care costs and bigger paychecks is directly through the uh, reducing the role of money in politics. Moving gears to the upcoming Supreme Court nomination, um, how do you feel about Kavanaugh being pushed on the Supreme Court and, you know, McConnell kind of ignoring uh, his own rule? Well, it's an outrage. The very fact that they would not allow President Obama's nominee to be confirmed or have hearings and all the rest was, was abusive. And now they are, of course, being hypocritical about it. But for the good of our country, because a court justice sits there for a long time, Supreme Court justice, we have to see the paperwork. And I applaud our Senate Democrats for demanding, insisting upon seeing uh, more evidence of what he did when he was in the Bush uh, White House, which he said he didn't work on certain issues, but he didn't in any event. This is the, the two issues we're focusing on are what's going to happen to Roe v. Wade and what's going to happen to health care, because those are the two issues that I think impact Senator Collins and Senator Murkowski the most. But the fact is, because he doesn't, and this court has demonstrated with Janice that they don't believe in stare decisis, decisis to have another judge who doesn't go to that court, everything is at risk, whether it's Brown versus the Board of Education, whether it's issues that relate to a marriage equality, the list goes, everything is at risk, voting rights, civil rights, everything is at risk if you don't believe in the established decisions that have expanded freedom uh, in our country. And I do believe that President Trump was very straightforward in one thing. He said, it's a done deed. Roe v. Wade will be repealed. And we cannot let that happen. So we have to have what the senator is doing. I salute them. Chuck has said this very well. But we must, must, must see the evidence of his. Um, uh, of his. And, and on top of all of that, it's very clear in, in what we do know already that he does believe that the president is above the law. So any a subpoena or anything that would go to the court to seek the truth would be blocked by statements we already know that Kavanaugh has made. It's just that elections have ramifications and winning the White House 
was bad enough to have Trump for four years, but horrible to have his court appointments for a longer time, the one he has already. We have to do everything we can to stop Kavanaugh. And I salute again our grassroots groups for what they are doing all over the country to say thank you to some senators, uh, to uh, be clear about uh, how strongly they believe in, in stopping this, um, uh, this, this confirmation in the states uh, that are in doubt and really a drumbeat across America. And speaking about elections, what were your first thoughts when President Obama gathered top leadership in Congress and said, Russia is attacking our election? Oh, my gosh. Well, you know, his first words when our first meeting with him were, um, his first words were, I mean, this is the president of the United States. He's having his first meeting with us, the first the uh, Article One legislative branch, and he says his first opening remarks, not quoting the Bible or the Constitution or our founders, and his first words were, you know, I won the popular vote because three to five million people voted illegally. I said to him then, Mr. President, that is not true. There's no data, no facts, no um, evidence to demonstrate what you just said. It's just not true. And if we're going to work together, we have to predicate our actions on fact. That's what I said to him. But it, but it, it's a longer story. You know, he he turns things around. But he, he specifically was asking the uh, intelligence community, did this impact the election? They basically, they were not tasked to see if it impacted the election. They were tasked to see if the Russians influenced it. It's another whole mission to see well, how did this affect people's votes. So when they said, you know, when the representation was, we are telling you this one thing, he goes out and says, the intelligence community does not believe that this impacted the outcome of the election. So this is a very dangerous man. And he's afraid. He's scared. He's afraid of me. I don't know if you saw his tweet yesterday. It's like, what? He's afraid of me because, <laughs> right. of, because he knows that I can beat him across the table legislatively uh, because of the resources I can amass uh, to win a, an elected Democratic Congress and the um, organization of our caucus, the unity we have in our caucus despite, despite any other differences. He's even more afraid of the fact that when we win, we're going to have um, a strong Democratic majority and it's going to be many, many more women, people of color and LGBTQ. So, he can't even cope with that. No, he, he can't even cope with that. He's just a merchant of fear. But you know what? It's not about him. It's about us. It's about what we're going to do for the economic security of America's working families, lowering costs of health care, increasing the size of paychecks, uh, doing so in a way uh, that uh, builds more confidence in the system. People will pay attention uh, because we're going to, when we win, we will have a more open Congress. This has been the most closed Congress in history. Closed rules over and over again. We'll have transparency and openness. We will be as bipartisan as we can to try to find our common ground, but to stand our ground where we can't. And we will honor our, our founders' vision of of unum. That is, we have to try to unify the country, not be the divider that he is. But in the campaigns, I, I say that to everyone who asks the candidates or the incumbents, don't even mention his name. It's not about him. It's about our constituents, their hopes, dreams, aspirations, and apprehensions, how we connect with them, how we address 
uh, those concerns in a way that they know that we know them. I just want to say, Leader Pelosi, I, I know, I've known you, luckily, for over uh, 12 years now, and you've always been a champion, one of the hardest-hitting people on the campaign trail. I really hope that we take back the House in the fall, and I love your enthusiasm and, and where we're at. You're a patriot, and I can't thank you enough for taking the time today. Oh, Scott, it's my honor to be with you. Thank you, and thank you uh, for spreading the word. It, it, really, it really matters that people know what the, are given hope because they know uh, that their values are shared, their concerns are recognized, and their opinions will help shape how we go forward. So thank you so much. For the people. And there you have it, folks. Leader Pelosi showing us how to win, reminding us what we stand for. I can't thank her enough for her time. I want to thank my producer, Grant Stern, for all his hard work he put into this interview. You can visit our website at DworkinReport.com. And let's keep things going. Let's push as hard as we possibly can. Let's have a positive message and remind yourself what Leader Pelosi said to me, which is it's not about him. It's about the American people. It's about us, not him. It's about us, not him. Thank you again for listening. Onward!